if you're able to stand, would you guys stand with me and read the word of God? And if you're online, you could follow as well. So this is how it works. I read a verse. You guys read a verse. We go back and forth. We make lots of mistakes pronouncing words. It's wonderful, all right? So we'll start with Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now it's your turn. Then the king ordered that guy, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Now it's your turn. Fantastic. You guys can have a seat. Just like Daniel 1, we've only selected today the strong, the healthy, the good-looking. That's you guys. Thank you for being here today. We're so glad to have you. Would you guys pray with me and invite God into this time? Dear God, we thank you that you are here in this place and you desire to speak to your kids. God, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand all the wonderful things that you have for us in your your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we will be jumping into the book of Daniel. We're just starting off a series. But before we do that, I get to tell you a story because I like to tell stories. No lies, just stories, right? That's how it goes. So a couple months ago, my wife and I, we were traveling, as we often do. We were in South America. We were in Ecuador. And if you've ever been to Latin America, every, almost every city in Ecuador worth its salt, or any city in Latin America total, has a, has a central market. In the central market, you should be able to see things like this, just every kind of fruit and vegetable and anything you want. Anything is there. It's all there. And so um, if, if you're really good, if you go to the right central market, they have something called the patio de comidas. It's the food court. And our food courts at the mall are just really bland. We have, you know, we have uh, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and things like that. They have all this delicious food. But if you're lucky, if you're really, really lucky, there's something called ornado. Ornado is a roasted pig from tail to snout, beautiful, roasted perfection. It's um, it's, it's just the best pork you've ever had. The skin is golden brown. You see, yeah, there it is. Crispy like glass. It's delicious. If you can't smell it right now, I, I feel so, I'm, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Um, but this market is even better than others because it has a whole area of Ornado. And there's like eight or ten ladies, each one with one of these. There's like eight or ten hogs, whole hogs sitting there. And each one has some meat and they're like, Hey, you want to have some of this? You want to come to me? But reigning over the court of Oronada is the Reina de Oronado. This woman is the queen of Oronado because everyone comes to her. Everybody knows she's got the best. And so there's a line. And as you come, you tell them what you, what, tell them what you want. And she just like, oh, I'm going to take care of you. You know, siéntate mijo. And she, you go sit down and there's the whole uh, picnic table. You're sitting with all these people. You don't even know. Everybody's just digging in, enjoying the food. And what's overwhelming is, the food is amazing, but what's overwhelming is this sense of love. You just, like, you feel t- t- you know, taken care of, and everybody's just enjoying. This lady's smiling at you as you're eating. She's having her husband run out food to you. And so it's, the Ornato is really, really good, but what, what you walk away is this, this sense of being cared for and loved. So it's not about the food. It's about the love. When you approach the book of Daniel... As we open our series in the Old Testament book of Daniel, we're going to find that Daniel is primarily not just a book with some nice Bible stories in it. 
It's, uh, it's not just a wisdom book with some good lessons, some morality, integrity, all that's definitely there. It's full of prophecy and perhaps some of the key prophecies that, that unlock the rest of prophecy in the New Testament in a lot of ways. But what you're going to find as you dig deeper is that Daniel is primarily, it's a love story. The key to understanding Daniel is that it's a book about a loving God pursuing the world and reconciling the world to himself. Daniel himself is a picture of Jesus. Take a, take a moment and think about this. So Daniel was a member of the royal family from the line of Judah and a descendant of King David. He's exiled from his position of privilege and power, and he's sent to where his enemies are. He's righteous in all that he does. He's falsely accused. He's condemned to death. He's thrown into a pit with a stone laid across it. Early in the morning, the king goes to see to the den of lions where he is. He's weeping and looking for his friend, thinking that he's dead. And then Daniel emerges from the pit, unharmed and escaping death. If you've been around the Bible for a while, this story sounds really familiar, right? Does, this, does anything, any of the details sound familiar? Who else had a similar story? Jesus did, right? Who else can you think of? Jesus was a member of the royal family from the Lion of Judah and was descended of King David. He was sent from heaven at the right hand of God from his position and power and glory to his enemies. He was righteous in all that he did. He was falsely accused. He was condemned to death and thrown into a pit with a stone across it. In the morning, Mary Magdalene came looking for him, thinking he was dead. Yet Jesus emerged from the tomb unharmed and escaping death. Daniel it's a picture to us of a God who's pursuing us with the love of Christ. Daniel, it's a love story. It's a love story about Jesus, about who God, who so loved the world that he desired that the whole world might be saved, that he sent Jesus to save it. The good news is that Jesus is pursuing us with his love. This morning, as we begin to look at Daniel, I pray that you would comprehend with the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because Daniel is not just a story about kings and lions and dreams. It's a story about the love of God. So as we begin looking at the book of Daniel, particularly chapter 1 today, I want to, I want to approach this a little bit differently and ask this question. What if, we, what if we invited Jesus to teach us the book of Daniel? What would he say? How would he approach it? What would he want us to understand and know? Because, I mean, if you're going to have anybody teach you, it's not going to be me. That's not, that's not the best option. We want to have Jesus teach us. Um, and it's important to, to think about this way because Jesus knew the scriptures thoroughly. He, and he quoted, referenced, and expanded on the message of Daniel in his own ministry many times. You see it in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. So this morning, we're going to do an introduction to the book of Daniel, but we're going to ask Jesus to teach it, and we're going to have Jesus explain it how he would explain it. So if I, I believe if Jesus was going to teach us from the book of Daniel, there's two things that he wants us to understand. The first thing that he wants us to understand is that the Bible is primarily a book about God. It's not about us, which sounds basic, but a lot of times we think it's about us. And he says, no, it's a book about God. The Bible is a story of a loving God who's created this beautiful world, and he's created you and me in it, and yet we rejected him. And we decided to choose death instead of life. And the rest of the Bible is really a story of God reconciling the world to himself, finding a way to bring us back home. The second thing that Jesus would want us to understand about this book is that is the things in it concerning himself, the things in Daniel concerning Jesus. How do I know that? Jesus taught the book of Daniel to his disciples. Do you guys know that? 
He taught the book of Daniel to his disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says in Luke 24, that and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. So if Jesus was going to teach us from the book of Daniel, he would teach us the same way he taught his disciples, all the things in it concerning himself. Hebrews 10.7 says the volume of the book is written about Jesus. So in the book of Daniel, we're going to hear lots of things about Jesus. And here's just a few, op- a few things to consider. Uh, in chapter 2, we hear for the first time about how Jesus' kingdom will come someday and he'll reign forever. That's the first time we hear about that. In chapter 3, we see a Christophany or an appearance of Jesus as he's in the fiery furnace with Daniel and his friends. Spoiler alert, I kind of got ahead of Sorry, Sorry, guys. Um, in chapter 6, in the story of Daniel and the lion's den, we get this beautiful picture of Christ who's defeated death in the grave. In chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of Jesus who's called the Son of Man coming in the clouds, the same term that Jesus used to refer to himself. In chapter 9, we see prophecy of the exact time when Jesus would be born and when he would die. If Jesus was going to teach us from Daniel, he'd teach us the things in it concerning himself. Jesus would also talk to us about the message of Daniel. The message of Daniel was a message about God pursuing the world, and uh, God's purpose and plan has always been to reconcile the whole world to himself. Sometimes people think that God's plan was just for the Jews or maybe just for Christians in America or, or in some certain part of the world, but in God's promise to Abraham, God came to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac's son, Jacob, had 12 sons. And Jesus was a descendant of those sons, the son of, Ju- the, the son of Judah. So Jesus was the seed through which all the nations of the earth would one day be blessed. Jesus himself reaffirms this plan when he says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world, the whole world. God is pursuing and loving the whole world. He says in, in verse 17, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn it, but that through the world, through him might be saved. God loves the whole world. God is pursuing the whole world. In Daniel 7, God outlines this plan for the nations. Jesus later puts this plan into place, and in Revelation, we see all all come together. So this is how it goes. Daniel chapter 7 is written in Aramaic, which was the language that everybody spoke in the Babylonian world. So this was not written to the Jews. It was written to the nations so they could understand. So Daniel chapter 7 says this in verse 13. In my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him, and his rule is eternal. In Matthew 28, many years later, Jesus' charge to the apostles was, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey You guys see the connection? Same thing as Daniel chapter 7. And then you look at the scene in heaven in Revelation 7, and it says this, I see a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. So Daniel 7 says, One day the nations will obey the Son of Man. Ninety-nine times in the New Testament refers to Jesus as that Son of Man. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells disciples to go to those nations and teach them to obey, to fulfill Daniel chapter 7. And in Revelation 7, we see the scene in heaven. The church is made up of people from every nation and race and and language and ethnicity. The book of Daniel is a love story about God pursuing the world through Christ. 
So that's the good news. And I love bringing you guys good news, but now I'm going to bring you some bad news. Ready for it? The bad news is he's pursuing people we don't like. (laughs) Some of them are sitting next to you right now. Um, People that annoy me, people that frustrate me, people that I think should go away are going to end up beside me in heaven because that's God's plan from Daniel 7, and I see it fulfilled in in Revelation chapter 7. People you wouldn't want to invite to the party are going to be there, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Every race will be represented in great number. Every ethnicity, people from every political party. Sorry. The other one, right? Every, every political party, every state, even some of those other ones you don't like, every language on earth will be heard in heaven. So often, we as people, we can have this deep-seated resentment and dislike or distrust of other people, groups, races, or ethnicities. We all do it. If we're honest, we do. None of us are immune to it. I don't know about you guys, but I just don't like people. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't like people, and I go to a, a, a crowded place. I go to, like, the worst is Knott's Berry Farm at Christmas time. Like, it's like, it's magical. It's holiday. Like, no, this is chaos. I hate it. You know, there's too many people. I'm feeling grumpy. I'm not feeling the season at all. But I'm so different than Jesus. When Jesus sees a crowd, let's look at what Jesus does in Matthew 14. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and it says, and he wept over it. God is pursuing the nations. God is pursuing the world. God is pursuing people that I don't like. If God is doing that, how can I justify hatred, resentment, annoyance, dislike, distrust with the very people that God is pursuing? If I'm honest sometimes, I don't care. I don't care about people like I, like I want to. Maybe that's you guys too. Maybe maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But the book of Daniel confronts me on this. All the way back into the time of Babylonians, God was proclaiming his message through the book of Daniel. We see God pursuing the nations because God is a missionary God. Jesus has compassion. He has tears. A.W. Tozer said, The Bible was written in tears, and to tears it will yield its best treasures. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man. Could it be? that we don't hear much from God because we have no tears, because we don't care. I think that could be a thing. Perhaps. I don't care, so I can't understand or can't hear the heart of God. There's no tears in our life. We don't care about the world around us. We sang a song earlier, Hosanna. It says, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me and break my heart for what breaks yours. If Jesus was going to teach us from the book of Daniel, perhaps he'd teach us to have a broken heart for those around us, for the nations, because that's his plan. That's the ark that he's chasing after. Perhaps Jesus would teach us how to love like he is loved. So in addition to this message about God pursuing the nations with his love, there's one big theme that we also see in the book of Daniel, and that's the theme of kingdom. Each of these kingdoms and empires we're going, to, we're going to read about, you're going to hear all about the kingdom of the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the empire of the Greeks, the Roman empire. All these four kingdoms will be talked about at length many times in the book of Daniel. But each of these kingdoms eventually crumbles and gives way to perfect rule and reign of Christ. Every kingdom of the earth will crumble except his. When I was, uh, when I was in high school back in many, many years ago, I went to Packing House Redlands 
and uh, Garrett and I were at the same school, and I had an English teacher who was very creative, and he played the song um, by the band U2. It was October from their first album, 1981, so it was a very old song. And this, the, the chorus of the song goes, kingdoms fall, and kingdoms rise, but you go on and on. That's God's kingdom. My kingdom falls, the kingdoms of this world fall, but his kingdom goes on and on. Any kingdom you and I build will come to an end. So often we set up our little empire and we think that's going to go on forever. We want to rule our life. We want to live by our own rules, our own ways of doing things. We take the good things and we worship them as ultimate things, things like health and security and wealth. But like the kingdoms of the ancient world, every single one will crumble. Question for you guys this morning. What kingdom are you building? What are you putting your trust in? What have you set up in the pedestal of your life, hoping it will last forever, hoping it will protect your future? Maybe it's the 401k. Maybe it's your ability to be healthy. You know, you're taking the greens and you're doing the essential oils and whatever people do at the moment. I don't know. It's always changing. Uh, maybe it's the relationships in that you're, you're trusted in to, to, uh, to give you security. Maybe it's the control you exercise over your family to try and keep them safe. When, when our kids are little, it's easy to keep them safe. You just pick them up and take them off. Uh, but when they're older, sometimes when your kids are teenagers and young adults, you want to kind of control things because you, you care about them and you want to try to protect that kingdom. Maybe it's your boat or your side-by-side or your trailer, your prized possessions that you saved so diligently for. I mean, got in debt for. Um, no? <laughs> Maybe it's your business that seems rock solid. Maybe it's the kid getting that baseball or football or soccer scholarship and, and making it to college. I don't know if you guys heard about this a few weeks ago. There's been all these storm surges in California, and uh, I think we have a, an image. Yeah. Did you guys see me see this? There was like, I don't know, four or five or six RVs. There's this truck that just got t- taken out to sea. That essentially is our kingdom. Our kingdom is washing away. The things that we put our value in, not just picking on trailers, all the other things that we put our value in, our 401k, our finances, our family, those things are washing away. And the only kingdom that will last is a kingdom ruled by a righteous, beautiful, and humble king. In Philippians 2.10, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that was a message to the king of Babylon, to the, to the Greeks and the, and, the, and the Romans, and it's the message to us, that every kingdom is going to fall except the kingdom of Christ. So my question for you is, what are you looking for today? When we think about these kingdoms, you know, we, we want health because we, we think that that's going to secure our future. We want wealth because we think that's going to secure our future. We're looking for all these things. We're putting our hope in all of these things. What are you putting your hope in? We knock on all kinds of doors hoping that we're going to find life. But Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It's me. I'm the one who's going to make you have life. If you're looking for hope, if you're looking for something and that's going to go on and on, you're going to find it in Jesus. We'll sing another song a little bit later. It's called Build My Life. I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. I'll put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and I'll build my life upon your love. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but a life built on a firm foundation will last. So the good news is the book of Daniel is all about Jesus. The bad news is that was just my introduction, and so we're just getting started. Buckle up. We'll be here for a while. But before we go home, seriously, we're just going to take a few minutes. 
Before we go home, I want to take a few minutes and just crack open just the door a little bit to Daniel chapter 1. And we'll go into it. Pastor Rob will do a bang-up job next week. Well, let's take a, jo- a look at verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And he says, select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking, just like you guys. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted in knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. So Daniel and other young men from some of the wealthy, educated families of Judah are taking his captives from their homes and families over 900 miles away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So imagine, imagine there was like a wicked king in Portland who took away all the people from Southern California. Same thing. I mean, there kind of is a wicked king in Portland, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, you know, same thing. Takes, takes them away. Their journey could have taken up to four months. When they get there, they're placed under the care of the chief of staff, or another version says, the master of the eunuchs. Wait a second, that doesn't sound good. This means that Daniel and his friends may have been made eunuchs as a welcoming gift. So, um, you know, welcome, let's go to surgery. You know, that's, that may have been what happened to them. What a great way to be introduced. When Daniel arrives in Babylon, he's placed in this elite three-year uh, training program to be indoctrinated into the ways of Babylon. So here we find Daniel and his friends. They're carried off as captives against their will, far from home and family. They're possibly made eunuchs which meant they could say goodbye to ever having a family of their own. And they're enrolled in this three-year indoctrination program where they have to learn the language and customs of another, of another world. Daniel and his friends didn't have any choice in this matter. A lot of them, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. It's not why they, they were made to be there. They didn't sign up for this. And worst of all, it's probably going to be for the rest of their lives. Well, this might be a really extreme example. Some of us can relate. In fact, some of you guys find yourself in a similar situation. It's the disease that you were diagnosed with or the illness that you've been suffering. It's that spouse that died unexpectedly leaving you alone or the spouse that cheated on you and left you and now you're alone. It's the job that you hate but you can't afford to quit. It's the economic situation you feel stuck in that try as you might, it's always a struggle. It's the neighborhood you live in, or the city you live in, or the state that you live in. It's the stage of life you're in now, and it doesn't feel like the end is in sight. Where are you at this morning? Do you find yourself in a place that you didn't choose to be in? If that's you, you're in good company. That was the story of Daniel and of his friends and a lot of us. Others of you, your life is pretty good. Not a lot of problems. You might wonder, though, what's the point of all of it? What's the purpose? What am I here for? The book of Daniel is a book about God pursuing the world and reconciling the world through Jesus. And all of Daniel's life and on the book of Daniel was meant to be a picture to tell the story of Jesus. Could it be that all of your life, even the messy bits, even the parts that you didn't choose, are meant to be a picture pointing people to Jesus? Years ago, I worked for, for a church, and um, some things went ha- happened in the church that I, I really didn't agree with. I didn't think were, were correct and proper and right. And I love the people. I love the leaders, but I disagree with them on many things. And so when my family and I decided to leave, some very unkind, untrue things were said about our family. I didn't choose for this to happen. This was just the way it was. But there we were. And in that moment, I felt very strongly that God was leading me to not say anything to not defend myself, to not defend my family, to not to say anything negative about the leaders. Um, and, I, and, I, and I never have, and I never will. A friend of mine couldn't believe that that's what I was doing. Like, aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to let the world know what's happening? 
But in those moments, the Spirit reminded me of the words of Isaiah 53, 7, speaking about Jesus. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. I am by no means Jesus. And as I said earlier, I have no compassion. I don't like people sometimes. I'm nothing like Jesus. I'm far from perfect. But in that moment, God was using the circumstances of my life and the way that I reacted to them as a picture to tell the story of our beautiful Savior, the one who does have compassion, the one who does love people, the one who is gentle. That's Jesus. I told a story earlier about my, my in-laws. My in-laws are retired, and, and they're in a season of life where a lot of people are just enjoying life and just uh, golfing or whatever. But they are taking care of their aging parents who are in their 90s, have a lot of uh, health issues, and um, it's a lot of work to take care of. And they love to do it, but it's a lot. And they also are taking care of lots of grandchildren every day, taking them to school, picking them up, doing all the things that they need to do. And it's, it's great because they love their family and they love the opportunity to do it, but it's hard. It's difficult. It's not glamorous. There's a lot of self-sacrifice involved. Their life, though far from perfect, is a story of the love of God and the person of Jesus, Jesus who, who washed the feet of others, who served, who didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. Like the book of Daniel, my story and your story are an opportunity to live out the story of God. Growing up, I listened to a, to a Christian artist named Rich Mullins. Some of you guys are familiar with him. He died in 1997. Uh, so if you're young, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've been around a little bit longer, you probably the name sounds familiar, like songs like Our God is an Awesome God. Rich Mullins wrote those. But his life um, and his music and his ministry had, has had a big impact on me. Um, and I think I have a picture here, yeah. So this is Rich Mullins. This was one of the last photos taken of him for, uh, for an album that he did. And as the, the photo was being taken, um, the photographer said, put your arms down a little bit. And he said, you look like an arrow pointing up. The author of the book on his life says, Rich Mullins was a man who stood among the ruins, the ruins created by his own faults and failings. In the midst of the ruins, he pointed to heaven, to the God who bundles our brokenness and heals our ruins. Rich was an arrow pointing to heaven. If we're honest, each one of us is ruined, a broken down kingdom. But like Rich Mullins, we have the opportunity to point toward God who alone can heal our wounds. My prayer is that my life would be like that, as imperfect as I am, as wretched as I am, that all of my life would be like an arrow pointing to Christ. As we close our introduction to Daniel, I have a couple questions for us to consider. First question is this. What kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you living for? Is it an eternal kingdom, or is it one that's going to be washed away like those RVs on the beach? Second question is, do you love the nations, and do you love your neighbors? Is there some kind of hatred, some indifference in your heart towards people, the same people that Jesus is pursuing, the same people that are going to fill heaven one day? Have you picked out your favorites and cursed the rest? I don't know about you guys, but that's something that the guy convicts me on. I want to have a heart like his. I want him to heal my heart and make it clean. Last question is this. If your life is an arrow, what would it be pointing to? Is it pointing towards heaven? Is it pointing towards Christ, or is it pointing people towards hatred, bitterness, rage, selflessness, materialism, or the passing kingdoms of our own making? But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, if you, you don't know Jesus yet, know this, 
God is pursuing you with his love. He's pursuing you because he loves you and he wants to see your face in that vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 7. Jesus alone can take the ruins of your kingdom and make it something beautiful. Last week, Pastor Ron reminded us of our calling as a church to not just be focused inward, but to be focused outward, that we be known as a church that seeks after the lost, that pursues the nations. May the story of Sanctuary Church be the story of the love of Christ pursuing the lost. May our story, when people talk about our church, be a story of a church that pursues the nations, that pursues people with the love of God.